0: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My Here's the high-stakes action, to thrilling moments we can't miss. He turns the game at the buzzer! And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. Bang! Bang! The 2024 NBA Finals, presented by U2 TV, continue on ABC. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Andrew
2: Collin. I was like, I can beat up Jeff. I can beat the shit out of Jeff. So then I killed Jeff. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> that and more. But before that,
1: listen, if you've never visited us over at patreon.com/risk, just go on over and check it out. Make sure to check it out because there's a big list of the benefits of becoming a patron of ours there. There's lots of bonus stories. There's ad-free episodes. There's our season one and two and our all-star episodes remastered. There's behind-the-scenes video and audio and photos. Some people give us a dollar a month, some five, ten, twenty-five, whatever it is. It is hugely helpful to us to keep risk running, so, once again, be sure to check it out. It's patreon.com slash risk. That's patreo dot com slash risk. Also, you know the holidays are super crazy busy. You don't have time to be running around. You don't have time to be going to the post office. <laughs> and you know what could save time with that? Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, using your own computer and printer. Then the mailman picks it up. Stamps.com just makes it so easy. They'll send you a digital scale that automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com will help you decide the best class of mail. Print postage anytime, any day. Stamps.com is always open. We use stamps.com at risk and the story studio, and we've always loved it. And right now you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four week trial plus postage and digital scale without long term commitments. So go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com enter risk. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Blue Man Group behind me now. We're calling this week's episode Bring the Pain, three stories of wounds and scares and rough patches in life. Uh, There's going to be some violence. There's going to be some pain. On this episode so in a little bit we're going to hear from Stephanie Andros but first up today is a comedian who has never been on the show before Andrew Collin you can find at andrewcollincomedy.com or there's also his podcast happy never after he told this one at a recent risk live show at Littlefield in Brooklyn and here he is now this is Andrew Collin with a story we call Bulletproof.
2: Um, so uh, I'm Jewish and, uh, <laughs> I'm from the South, though. I'm from I don't know. I was like, there were no, where I was from, though, there was like no Jewish kids. You know, I was one of two Jewish kids in my grade. It was just me and Lisa Kanarak. and uh, the the kids they call me like fun nicknames. You know, like like Jew boy, Bagel boy, Your family runs the media boy. <laughs> and I, I felt very out of place. You know, like, and I think it, it didn't help me with women. I always felt like an outcast, kinda, and uh, I also. In high school, like, I don't know, like, I was very afraid of STDs. I don't know, I'm a horrible hypochondriac. Like, when I was a senior, I got an AIDS test when I was still a virgin. And uh, the doctor's like, uh, how many sexual partners have you had? And I'm like, uh, none. He's like, well, what are you doing here? I was like, well, doc, I, uh, I fingered a girl and I bite my nails. I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I, it turns out I was okay. I was, <laughs> barely. barely. I never had a girlfriend in high school. Like I was afraid of the STDs and I, I felt out of place. And I was like, if I could just go to college and I could start new, I could be a new man. Who knows? Who would I? Maybe I could change my name to Paul. I don't know. I could just do whatever I wanted. Like I was so excited about college and like, where I could go and I could feel like I could like, fit in, you know? So, like, I don't know, and I could lose my virginity. Like, that was, like, the two things. I had nothing to do with academics. Like, you know, I'm not that, I don't know a lot of big words, is what I'm saying. Like, I'm not that smart. But I was like, if I could just go, and I, and I went, and I visited my brother at Tulane in New Orleans. And, um, yeah, some people went there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, what year? Uh, Fourteen. Okay, I'm way older than you. <laughs> You're loud in here. That's great. Okay, so. So. Uh, so whatever so I'm excited to go New Orleans I'm like oh my god like this is it like Tulane's also known as Jew Lane so that like got me in I was like all right that's one check mark and and I'm all excited right like I'm in New Orleans like I'm from like a small town I'm in New. Orleans. I got my favorite shirt on it was from the Gap you know it was blue and it was tucked in a big brown belt I had Banaka in my front pocket I had four condoms in my back pocket like yeah, like a three-pack plus one. I was like, this, might, <laughs> this is going to happen, you know? But I was also like, you know, just in case, you know? And uh, it's probably a little too much. And um, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm in my brother. My brother went to Tulane. He was a junior. And I'm, I'm sitting next to his roommate. And his roommate's this 28-year-old guy who happened to be in law school at Tulane. And I found out earlier that he was a Navy SEAL, or he used to be. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. And he had, like, these real dark eyes, and, like, you've like he's seen some shit, you know? And I was like, oh, my God, you're a Navy SEAL. That's so cool. You know, he's like, you want to see something? I was like, yeah. And he opens up this closet. I call it the closet of death. There was guns. There were knives. There was camo. There were medals. And there was a bulletproof vest. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, you got a bulletproof vest? That's so cool. He's like, you want to try it on? I'm like, yeah. And I tried a vest on and he takes a knife out of his pocket and he goes, look, it's knife proof. And he looks at me and he goes, I think I stabbed you. And I go, you think motherfucker? And I take the vest off and blood is just shooting out my chest like a volcano. And right away, I think I'm gonna die in the most ironic way possible. Getting stabbed with a bulletproof vest on. So he has me take off my favorite GAP shirt, which I was very upset that now has a hole in it. Uh, and I didn't bring another one, so I was upset. You know? So he takes it off and he, and he plugs the wound with my GAP shirt and my brother comes out and he's like, holy shit, he goes, get in the Wrangler. So, <laughs> so we get in the Wrangler, oh, and this Wrangler was bad, boy. Like big mud tires, like a roll bar, like it's awesome. You know? So I'm bleeding to death in this awesome Wrangler. And I'm, and I'm trying to, like, I don't know, like, my stomach muscle is, like, cramping, you know? I'm like, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to die. Like, I, like, all I know about, like, biology is, like, the Star Spangled Banner is, like, here, and that's where I got stabbed. So I just think my heart is just shooting blood, you know? And also I'm thinking like I'm gonna die a virgin and like and like these are like the thoughts like are going like I wish I had like these big thoughts, you know, when you're gonna die, you know, like what am I gonna do? I never accomplished this and all I thought was like I'm gonna die and they're gonna find four condoms in my back pocket (laughs) and It's gonna be so fucking embarrassing, you know So I'm having all these thoughts. I'm thinking I'm gonna die I'm like I can't breathe like my stomach muscles like cramping and I get to the ER and they you know, they let me go through because I have blood all... I look like Carrie from the movie Carrie. You know, I have just blood all over me. And they let me through. And they, So first, they think my lung is collapsed. Turns out your heart is not there. Like, whatever. Just a little biology for you guys. Yeah. Your heart isn't over here. So your lung is, though. I didn't even know it went up there. But whatever. So, and they're like, we think his lung is collapsed. So they give me a Valium to relax my stomach muscle. And now I could like... I, I feel like the pain in my chest and it's like going all the way down my arm and it's like unbearable. So they give me Demerol and I don't know if you ever had Demerol. It's like this like insane painkiller and I take it and I swear within minutes I was just like, ooh. <laughs> oh, who needs a lung? <laughs> Throw another lung in there. Lung it up, boys. We're in New Orleans. <laughs> ooh, we're in Mardi Gras, you know? <laughs> down in the quarter. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hell yeah. So... um so they come back and they go, Look, uh, we looked at the x ray. Your lung is not collapsed. But we got to keep you here for six hours to make sure. I was like, Whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah. I'll hang here. <laughs> Get some beads, whatever, you know? And, uh, but I'm like, kind of like, still fucked up, you know? And like, I close my eyes and I open my eyes and I swear to you, the Navy SEAL that stabbed me is in my face. And he goes, You got to tell the cops that you stabbed yourself. <laughs> And all that like, woo, I was like, what, (laughs) what? I haven't even taken improv yet. I was like, what do I say, you know? like, I was like, what do I do, you know? And he's like, you gotta, and like, I swear, right when the cop comes in, this big New Orleans cop and he stomps in and I was like, what do I? And the cop's like, well, what happened here? And I was like, well, I was was playing with a knife and a dog, a a big dog. Jumped on me and I stabbed myself. And the cop looked at me and he goes, All right, have a good weekend. <laughs> like, there was no paperwork, right? He didn't, like, was it a labradoodle? Like, what happened? You know? What was it? What did he look like? I was like, I don't know. The shit, too, was a Navy SEAL. No, whatever. So, so I didn't tell me like, so he just leaves and I'm like, I ratted out the dog. That's pretty fucked up. But whatever. He, he'll get over it. And, uh, so then uh, I'm sitting there again and um, a nun comes in the room and like this little like four foot ten nun, and she's standing there in the hallway and I'm like, what, what is going on, like is this my last rites, am I dying? Like I don't, I, and, I, and she got closer and closer and, and like she looked like, like the girls from The Shining, like she was just like very like, and I was really fucked up and she got real close and I just looked at her, I go, I'm Jewish. I don't need your help, I'm Jewish. like I turned into my grandma Thelma, I was just like, I'm Jewish, <laughs> I got a little indigestion, <laughs> like whatever, so she leaves, and then like, my brother, like, so my brother goes to me, he's like, he takes me and gets like real low voice, and he goes to me, he's like, look, you know, I talked to the doctor, and um, he said that you can get a stitching where the scar is in the shape of a playboy bunny. I was like, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Back in the homeland. back in Dakota, baby. So I go to him and I was like, I was like, I go to the doctor, I was like, hey doc, I want that Playboy Bunny scar. He goes, well, what the hell are you talking about? Like my brother, like I just got stabbed with a fucking bulletproof vest on and my brother's like, oh I can finally do the old Playboy Bunny prank, you know? It was fucking ridiculous so six hours went up i get stitched up we get back in the badass wrangler and my brother's like hey you want to go check out this band i manage i was like yeah dan that's what i want to fucking do after getting stabbed with a bulletproof vest i want to go check out some cover band that plays fucking the gin blossoms so we go to the concert and uh, <laughs> and i swear you're not gonna believe me but i swear to god the lead guitar is is the navy seal that stabbed me i swear I left that like I knew he was going to the show earlier but like he's the, he's up there and he's like he sees me walk in in a different gap shirt and uh, he's like oh, hey man sorry about the accident and I was like again I don't think it was an accident like you just stabbed me bro like he's like well I want to dedicate a song to you and he like played I don't even know what he I don't know he played like shot to your heart I don't know what he played But I felt better, I really did. I was like, thanks man, that means a lot, you know? So I go home and I wake up the next day and I go to this party the next day and it's like this fraternity party and I'm downstairs and it's like a paint mixer and you get like naked and you throw like paint all over each other. It's perfect for me because like I take my shirt off, I'm like, look, I got stabbed, like how fucking badass. And it turns out like women dig it if you get like a nice stab wound, you know? and this girl like came up to me and she's like oh my god you got stabbed I was like yeah I got fucking stabbed yeah yeah I'm a senior in high school but might as well be a senior in college you know (laughs) and and she's like oh my god you know and so then we go home together and um, I'm dropping her off and uh, I make out with her I don't go upstairs I'm still afraid of STDs and uh I, I really was. Like, she was like a junior in college. I was like, I don't know, who she, she might have been with three people. Oh, no. You know? Like, you have like a weird warp sense. So I don't go upstairs, but I'm walking back and I'm like, you know what? Tulane is the school for me, <laughs> you know? Like, I met a beautiful woman, you know, I, I, you know and, and I enrolled in the fall. And I was like, you could only go uphill from there, you know? And it didn't. Like, <laughs> it didn't at all. <laughs> Those are a lot more other stories, but four months later, I found out he was never a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I swear, he made it all up. He had the medals. He was like John Hamm from Mad Men. Like he just made it all up. Like the medals, the camo, like the guns, the not. And I was like, what the fuck? Like it was such a mind fuck because I was like, I don't know. Like when you get stabbed, I'm like, I want revenge. You know? Like I want to fucking like I want to redeem myself you know but he was a navy seal so i was like i can't fight a navy seal but it turns out he's just some like shitty lawyer named jeff and i was like i can beat up jeff i can beat the shit out of jeff so then i killed jeff no no no, 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 no. that's pretty much the end of the story all right thank you so much everyone
3: I was about five or six years old. I was living in Las Vegas with my parents. I got along with both my parents, but I was always so much closer to my father. And I realize now that's because my mom and I are so similar, we were always just butting heads all the time, I never got along with her. I loved her and I respected her, but like I never wanted to hang out with her. Or like My dad and me, we were like just buddies. We always used to hang out, he taught me how to drive. like. He was a truck driver so like he wasn't home that often but when he was like anything that he wanted to do he'd build stuff and he had like a saw and a huge like tool shed in the back and he would just be like hey Steph you want to come out here and I would just sit there and watch and he would show me how to do like so many random things which thank god now I know how to like cock my own shower (laughs) like it's super like he taught me how to do all those things how to use the gun and load it and everything and like just weird things but he really tried always to hang out with me no matter what it was, it was not ever anything that I wanted to do. It was always through his interest, but I still admire that because he wanted to spend time with me. So he would take me shooting and we would build stuff in his workshop in the backyard. And he always used to make me watch war movies, every single one that you can imagine. I swear when I was older, I saw Saving Private Ryan at least like 20 times. So that was the last thing that I remember was falling asleep on the couch with him to the sound of explosions in the background. It was the night before his birthday, so he had let me stay up late with him. And my dad had woke up early in the morning to go fix a leak in his tire outside. And I wake up at six in the morning to my mom coming out to me and she was whispering and she was like, Steph, wake up, someone's in the house. Go into my room and lock both the doors and I'll be in there in 10 seconds. And I just looked at her like hazy and I was confused and I didn't really know what was going on. And I was like, what? She's like, Steph, go into my room now and shut both the doors connecting from your room in the closet, lock the doors and I will be in there in 10 seconds. And I could just hear the way that she said it and she was whispering and something was wrong. Like it was very firm and strict the way that she says something to me like I was in trouble. So I just kind of jumped without even thinking why, or I wasn't really even afraid because I didn't understand what was going on. And so I ran in there and she came in right after me and shut the door that was nearest to the living room. And we hear sirens coming in the front yard and it's just louder and louder and louder. And my dog starts going crazy in the backyard. She's barking and she's howling and it sounds like she's in pain because I've never heard anything like this from her before. And then we hear a banging on my mom's door, a banging and a banging and the sky He sounds really desperate and he's pleading. It's soft and it's really creepy. He just says, please let me in. Please, please let me in. Please, please let me in. Like he's afraid of something. It wasn't forceful. It was just pleading and my mom hopped off the bed and she's just telling me to calm down and everything is gonna be okay. But she runs over to the door and she's just yelling, get the fuck out of here. What are you doing in my house? And he just keeps banging on the door and he's pleading, please, please let me in. And she's like, why? Why would you want to come in here? What the fuck is wrong with you? She's yelling at him because we're cornered in this room. There would be absolutely no point to want to come in there besides wanting to hurt us or do something. So all of a sudden, we hear this blood-curdling scream outside, and the guy that was banging on the door was completely gone. I don't know if that had triggered him to leave, but that we couldn't hear him anymore. My mom's sitting on the bed with me now at this point and she's holding me there and I'm just crying and crying and she's like trying to console me and I can feel her heart racing because she's so afraid of what's going to happen. And then at that moment we look back and there's a police officer standing outside my mom's window and he taps on the window to tell us to slide it open and it was just like this huge feeling of relief that we were going to be able to get out of the situation so... My mom hands me off to him because I'm, you know, just so small and he puts me on his hip and he brings me outside and we had gravel in the backyard and dirt and so he sets me down there and I step on a nail (laughs) and at that moment I didn't even register it, it just kind of was like a little prick but I was so shocked about everything that was happening and my mom comes out and she grabs my hand and we walk into the front yard and... We had a chain link fence that was surrounding our backyard and it had tarp along it, like covering it so you couldn't see in. So when we opened the fence, we just saw dozens of police cars. Like there was at least 15 cars in the front yard and my parents' car was there as well. And so we're looking around and there's all these cops standing in the front yard and another cop comes over to my mom and I and the police officer that took us out of the house. And he's like, can I please just talk to you for a second? and he tells me to stay with the other police officer and my mom leans down to me and she says, hey, Steph, it's gonna be okay, just stay here. I'm gonna go talk to this guy over here. I'll be right back. So I'm standing there and I look over at my mom and I see her and she just starts like hysterically crying and I'm really freaked out and I'm talking to the police officer and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And she comes walking back over to me And she leans down and she kind of wipes her tears away and says, Stephanie, everything's going to be okay, but something happened to your dad. And she's starting to break down and I'm hysterically crying and I don't understand what happened. And it's registering to me now about the blood-curdling scream that we had heard inside the house. And so she tells me, I think it would be better if you saw him and he told you. So... We go walking about 10 feet away and I look to the street and I see an ambulance parked on the street and I'm wondering why we're walking over to an ambulance and then I just see my dad sitting in the back of the ambulance and his leg is just gushing blood. It looked like he had stepped in a bear trap. It, his skin was just ripped open from his knee to his ankle. and. It was disgusting, but that wasn't my initial reaction. I was just insanely frightened and wondering what was happening. And as I got closer and closer to him, I look at him and he just smiles at me and he was just so happy to see me. And I walk over and I'm like, daddy, what is going on? What is happening? Are you okay? Are you okay? And he's like, baby doll, you're okay. Like so calm, just, he was just worried so much about us in there as well. He's out there on the street. And I'm just like in a haze at this moment. I don't know what's going on. I'm six years old, standing out here, and it's been maybe 15 minutes since I've even opened my eyes for the first time that day. And I'm looking at my dad, and his leg is just ripped to shreds. And it's his birthday. And my whole world is just turned upside down. And he's talking to me, and I'm just. I can't even listen to what he's saying. And he's like, I want to tell you everything that happened. Like, do you understand that like, this wasn't anyone's fault and I'm going to be okay, and it's going to be fine. Like he just kept reassuring me that I was going to be okay because he could just see the fear on my face. And like, I was just broken at that moment looking at him. And I was like asking him if he was going to die because his leg was just pouring blood rushing down onto the street. What happened was there was a guy that was on the run from the police. He stole a car, and he actually crashed into an apartment complex that was directly across the street from our house. And so he ran across the street, just running from the police. My dad was outside fixing a tire on the car, so he was underneath the car, and he ran in through the front door because it wasn't locked. And when the police came after him, and we were in the room, the canine unit dog went up to my dad and saw his legs peeking out from underneath the car and just attacked him. The police didn't even tell him to, but the dog, just thinking that he was a suspect, just went crazy on him and for over 30 seconds. He was telling me this and he said, you know, I'm going through this and the whole time in my mind, I'm worried about you and your mom. And I slide from underneath the car and I'm laying there and I say, Hey, just to let you guys know, I have a loaded forty-five gun on my waist, so please don't shoot when I get up, and for some reason, that is just so funny to me. Even being five years old, I was like, I would have probably actually gotten shot, because I would have just jumped up and, you know, not even have thought about that, but I couldn't believe his rational thinking in that moment, and so he just keeps telling me that. There was an accident, and they're gonna work it out, and he's gonna to be totally fine. And he gives me a hug, and the paramedics, at the you know, they're kind of rushing. They're like, Steve, we need to go to the hospital right now. So, as he's wrapping him up or attempting to stop the bleeding while he's talking to me, my mom's standing next to me, and she's not saying anything. She's just finding this out for the first time, just as much as me, and so she's kind of just blank. And she's not crying, and she's just trying to be strong for me, I can tell. And she's holding my hand, and there's a cop standing next to us. And at that moment, we look over, and they bring the guy outside from our front door, and he's in handcuffs, and they put him on the back of the car, and my mom just marches over to him. And he has this huge tattoo on his back that has all these law enforcement badges, like a uh, FBI and CIA, and then it says, they all must die huge across his whole back and my mom rushes over to him and she just starts screaming at him like what the fuck is wrong with you? Do you know what you put our family through? You're the only one that needs to die. You're the only one that needs to die. You're a cockroach. We need to get rid of you on this planet. And she's just going crazy and the cops just let her yell at him for like a minute and then finally they're like Miss Andros come on. get stop. We need to put him in there. And they put him in the car and he's trying to explain to her the logistics of how we need to go about getting a a settlement for what happened to my dad. And oh, by the way, we actually also trashed your house. And my mom is like, I don't give a fuck about this right now. And she looks back over to the guy and she starts screaming at him again through the window. And she's just like, I hope you fucking die. I hope you fucking die for what you had to put my husband through and what you put my little girl through. And she was not having it. And so the cop pulls her away again and they start dissipating out from our yard (laughs) and they start telling my mom, what happened inside the house. They just trashed everything. He could be behind a bookshelf, threw it down, sliding glass door completely shattered. Glass table completely shattered. They found him inside the couch. They said when he heard the dog barking, the couch came alive. He had pulled the sofa cushions off and tore a hole in the lining with a knife and crawled inside the couch and replaced the cushions on top of himself to hide there. So that's why it took them about 10 minutes to find him in the house so my mom walks back over to my dad and and i standing on the street with the paramedic and he keeps telling my dad he's like steve we need to go i'm gonna pad this up and you need to get in the back and we need to go and he looks at him and he says i'm not paying for an ambulance you can wrap it up as good as you can so i don't get blood all over my car and we're gonna drive there myself and looking back on it now is just such a my dad thing it's just so funny they're like okay they wrap up his leg as as much as they can and it's still drenched blood in five seconds through this gauze pad and I go with my parents and they drop me off at my grandparents house honestly I don't even remember being there I feel like I probably was just so blank that I wasn't saying anything and my grandma was just trying to act like it didn't happen because she didn't know how to deal with the situation and she's such a domestic, super adorable, like, cliche grandma that has a different apron for every holiday and so she was just like, all right, well, let's make breakfast. Uh, Let's make waffles. Let's do anything to try to get your mind off of this terrible thing that just happened and so my parents were gone for a couple hours. They came back and picked me up and my grandparents and I and we all went back to our house and when we pulled back into the yard and we walked back in, it was just like going to a haunted house. The haze and the feeling of dread going back in there was just so disgusting. It was just like torture to go back into like eight hours later of somewhere that you might have died in. And I didn't realize that like it had affected me so much until I went back there. And I walked in and the house was trashed and both my parents just instantly and my grandparents too just started cleaning it up. My grandma, that was just her first instinct and that's this is how we're gonna help. Like, okay, let's get the broom. We're gonna get all this broken glass out of here. We're gonna do this. And I was like, what? No, I wanna go lay on my bed and cry and be in the fetal position and be like, oh my God, why is this happening? And this is my dad's birthday. Like, no, we're supposed to have cake today. And we were supposed to go celebrate as a family. And now our life is so fucked up. Like, how did this happen? (laughs) In like less than one hour in the morning, even at this point when we arrived back at our house, it's like 5 p.m. And my dad kind of just looks at me, and he was in a wheelchair. He had to get over 150 stitches, and he was almost mad at me that I was acting like such a brat. He was like, Steph, this is our house. We have to clean it up. Do you want to sleep with broken glass in here? Do you want to sit on the floor? Do you want to walk around and live in this disaster? No, we have to clean this up. This is what we have to do. This happened, like I said before, it was no one's fault and it's terrible and you can't ask why. There's no why in this situation. There's not a reason why it happened, but you have to move forward. You have to keep going. And so I did and I just helped clean up and in the weeks after that it was really hard because both my parents were workaholics and my dad was out of work for probably two months And he's very, a very, very prideful man. Not being able to do things for himself was really bad. Everything that we already felt on top of him having a, like, internal struggle of not being able to be a real man after that was just so much worse. So it was like a lingering, terrible feeling for a couple of months after that. And I remember just being so much closer to my mom. I feel like the whole situation brought me so much closer to her because Up until that moment I always thought that I was so much closer to my dad and that he was the only one that could protect me. And going through that experience and seeing how strong my mom was and her not hesitating to do anything and I was her first priority the whole time and she just showed me through her actions that women can be strong too and you don't need to be a six foot tall man to stand up for yourself or to say you're not going to make me feel scared in my own house. That definitely helped our relationship, I think, a lot. And I had so much more respect for her after that. They sent subpoenas for both of us to testify in court against him. And they kept sending them for both of us. And I kept asking her if I was going to have to speak in court. And she was like, absolutely not. She went to the court and was like, there's no fucking way that I'm having my daughter go up to the stand and relive this again. She's already so... (laughs) messed up from this whole experience and she's having nightmares and I'm not gonna have her go talk about what happened when she's six years old. It was a really crazy eye-opening experience and I think it just shoved me into being mature after that because before I was so free-spirited and not to say that I live my life in fear now, but I'm more cautious. I'm not naive. To the fact that bad things can happen to you if you're not smart or if you're not quick on your feet and able to make a good decision in the times where things are really stressful and terrible. So I kind of use that I think in my everyday life now. Growing up and having like bad things happen to me just I've been fired from jobs and struggled to pay rent and thought I was going to have to leave New York because I wasn't going to be able to make it here and I got dumped by guys that told me they wanted to marry me, and I thought, you know, I would never find love again. And my dad passed away four years ago, (laughs) and that was probably the hardest thing that I ever had to go through. It's kind of crazy because that whole experience that happened to me in Las Vegas when I was six years old, just, it helped me get over my dad passing away. I used him as my own strength because there were so many times where... I was just acting so erratic. I wasn't how I expected I was going to be. I thought I would be like sad and in my room and crying, but I was just being an asshole. I was all over the place. I was calling out of work and that's why I ended up getting fired and, you know, partying and being stupid. And I thought back to that time where we came back into the house and I didn't want to clean and I wanted to just cry. And my dad was like, you can't do that. Do you want to live your life in a disaster? And it kind of just clicked a light bulb in my head and I realized that I was letting myself live in a disaster and I was doing it to myself because I wouldn't move forward. I wouldn't pick up the pieces and go through the hard work to try to move on. I wanted to wallow in my own self-pity and I was like, if my dad could see me like this now, he'd be so disappointed. So it helped me just be so much stronger. Not to say that I belittled the experience and got over losing him because you know that's never going to happen, but... It made me just feel so much stronger and much more connected to him and my mom and just realizing that both of them on that day showed me what it was like to be a strong person. And I think that I would not be able to be where I am in life now without those lessons. So I'm really glad that they passed those traits on to me.
1: This is Risk. This is Karina Rep behind me now. And we just heard from Stephanie Andros. It was so moving to sit down with Stephanie and record that story with her. You can find her on Instagram at Stephanie Andros. And now I want to talk to you about, well, the fact that the holidays are here now. And if you're like me, you want to be sending the special people in your life something to let them know you care. Now I have recently discovered the Books Company, B-O-U-Q-S. Books is short for bouquets, and they are now my source for the most amazing flowers and holiday garlands and handcrafted wreaths. Books.com has created an utterly new way to send flowers, farm fresh direct to your door. No more $19.99 flowers costing $60. Books offers simple, transparent pricing, starting at just $40 with free weekday delivery. Books flowers are freshly cut from sustainable, responsible farms. And because they come direct from the farms, Books are the freshest flowers you've ever seen. They even have farms located on the side of of a volcano. Now you can brighten someone's holiday and send them beautiful artisan designed flowers, holiday garlands, and handcrafted wreaths. They're going to love you for it. And if you order today, you'll get an extra special 15% off when you enter risk. Book flowers start at just $34 $34 with your special 15% off code. So that's B O U Q S dot com and use the code RISK to save 15%. Books dot com. Also, I've talked about Canna Pet a few times, but if you haven't checked them out yet, it's the perfect holiday gift for your pet. Go to Canna Pet. Dot .com that's c a n n a pet.com and use the code RISK at the checkout for 50% off your order and give your pet the gift of good health for the holidays. Canapet is the leading CBD supplement for pets. The company makes all natural, organic and non GMO capsules liquid and tasty biscuits in maple bacon peanut butter and apple or turkey dinner the capsules and liquid can be mixed into your pet's food so you don't have to try to force them to eat a pill this pet supplement is your go-to if your pet is suffering from pain allergies cancer anxiety arthritis or seizures but this is not pot for pets the products are not sold in dispensaries because canapet is made from industrial hemp not marijuana that means it contains CBD not THC so it won't get your pet high actually there are zero psychoactive effects this product is fully legal and vet recommended for dogs cats horses and other animals plus they ship all over the US the company also has a nonprofit organization Pet Conscious, that works with hundreds of rescue organizations around the U.S. Its mission is to build a better world for pets, and they do so by providing free products, financial support, and fundraising. So, CanaPet is a holistic alternative to pharmaceuticals, and no prescription is needed to purchase. You can order online at canna-pet.com with the code RISK for 50% off. For customer testimonials and more information, visit canna-pet.com and use that offer code RISK. Our final story today comes from a RISK favorite. She's told so many wonderful stories on the show before over the years. She she also teaches storytelling for our school, the Story Studio. Uh, She teaches workshops in Minneapolis, we also teach workshops in person in New York or Los Angeles. Here is Amy Saloway now. And this was recorded at our recent live show in Madison, Wisconsin. What a wonderful evening that was. So here is Amy now with a story we call Greenbush. It's all this-
4: 15, every fight I had with my mother and stepfather, and there were a lot of them, ended with them threatening one of three things in sort of random rotation. So one, you're so miserable living under our roof, fine, we will kick you out. You can live on the street. Or two, <laughs> oh, we're such terrible parents. Fine, we will put you in a foster home. See how you like those parents. <laughs> I know. Or three, that is it. We are committing you to Greenbush. <laughs> Greenbush, yes, was our city's local adolescent mental institution. So from these threats, you would assume, right, that I was this total... Badass hooligan juvenile delinquent. <laughs> I totally wasn't. Every day, I would stay at school as long as possible to avoid going home. Um, if I didn't have a, a math meet or environment club or a play rehearsal, I would just sit at the base of my locker in the hallway, writing my paper on Hamlet's soliloquies, or yeah, or why Yusef threw herself into the weir. Sometimes like a friend would come join me and hang out and I'd talk about how things were going. Like my friend Mike who was also in theater and was trying to decide whether or not he was gay. It was a process. Um, he, uh, He looked at my stack of books and said, Amy your parents are fucked up. Like, I am failing three classes, and I get drunk every night, and last night, I snuck into a gay bar and sucked three dicks. I mean, comparably, you are like the kid most parents would dream of. And it was true. I was a massive overachiever. I was in all honors classes. I won awards. I made crafts. I was a Girl Scout, literally and figuratively. I had never smoked or drank or done a drug or had sex. Oh, please, I hadn't even kissed a boy. I hadn't even held hands with a boy. I was obese and lumpy and unattractive and awkward, and that is very effective birth control. But, um, Then Mike would say, what is your mom even yelling at you for? Doesn't she love you? I knew my mom loved some things about me, my academic achievement, the stories and poems I wrote, the fact that I was funny and that I could make her laugh, I really could, but at the same time, she was this unpredictable volcano who would suddenly invent an entire fictionalized reality to like coat on top of me or she would wildly misinterpret things that I had said or done or throw me into a power battle that there was no way I could win because she had to be right, she had to be. <laughs> like. The time that I bumped into a mom in our neighborhood whose little baby I had been babysitting for, except she hadn't called me in a really long time. And she said, oh, Amy, I'm so sorry to hear about your illness. <laughs> and I said, what illness? And she said, oh, well, your mother told me about your multiple personality disorder. And <laughs> I know. And it's nothing to be ashamed of, but I just feel that with your, you know, population that you're carrying around, maybe it's too much for you to sit for Harvey. I went home and said to my mother, why did you tell Mrs. Landman that I have multiple personality disorder? Because you do. No, no, I, I don't. I, re- Yes, you do, you do, and I will tell anybody I want to about it whenever I want. <laughs> the rage that my mother threw at me made me hate myself so much but the one tiny speck of self-esteem that I still had made me desperate for her to stop this, to see the real me, reality me, and love me unconditionally, like, you know, parents are supposed to do. And so I fought for that. When she yelled, I yelled back. But it turns out you can't yell someone into loving you. So, one morning, My mom told me uh, that she had scheduled me for an optometrist appointment, and it was during the school day, which was weird, because I had never missed school for an appointment before, but I had also just gotten contact lenses after having worn glasses since I was seven, and I was still riding the high of having pure, unobstructed eyeballs. (sighs) No. So I figured I shouldn't, you know, question or whine. But in the car, my mom didn't take the street towards the optometrist's office. She went towards downtown, closer to the offices of all my therapists I had seen, alone and with family members, (laughs) so many therapists. Because any time a psychologist or social worker suggested to my mother that maybe some of my problems were because of her, I suddenly didn't see that therapist ever again. It's so weird, I know. I'd recently been switched to a psychiatrist who was on the staff of Greenbush, which is where our car pulled up into the parking lot. And I thought, it's okay, it's okay, maybe I am just first having an extra appointment with Dr. Patton, but then I saw my stepfather standing at the entrance with Dr. Patton, and uh, the two of them walked us to his office and handed me a stack of papers that my mom told me I needed to sign to check myself into the facility for no less than six months. I screamed, no, I I kept throwing the pen across the room because I didn't want it to touch my hand. I screamed, no, how can you do this to me? I don't belong here. This is a mistake. This is punishment. But my mother said that if I didn't voluntarily commit myself right then, that she would have me forcibly committed to the state institution far away where the minimum stay was a year. I cried until I nearly passed out. There was nothing I could do. And then they left. A nurse with that teased poofy hair took me into a tiny yellow office with a toilet, sink, and shower. It was barely big enough for one person, but there were two of us in there. Um, and she told me to remove my clothing so she could do a body cavity search for weapons and implements of harm. I never thought I was the kind of girl who would be told, bend over and spread your legs. But surprise. (laughs) I just kept crying. And uh, she confiscated my rainbow knee sock telling me that they were long and stretchy enough that they could probably be used as a noose, and she just couldn't take those chances. And even though I was literally destroyed by this point, there was that one tiny, morbidly humorous section of my brain that noted this moment and thought, Amy, there is no more perfect method of suicide for you than hanging by knee sock, so true. And then I had to take a very hot shower. I had just started rehearsals for Brigadoon at my high school, I know. If I hadn't been at Greenbush that day, I would have been rehearsing my role of a Scottish townsperson number six, who I, yes, it's the best role, totally. I know, right? She only has, she only has one line. I lassie, me thinks he's sweet on ya. But it is a plot point, right? I know! <laughs> Brigadoon. Um, I had a whole life that I had no idea I would be wrenched away from, and since I hadn't known that I was gonna be locked up, I had no way to like tell anybody what was happening or where I was, not that I would want to, but it was like I had been disappeared, like like an alien abduction. And who knew what kids would say? What rumors might start? So Greenbush was a hospital, but it also used the tough love adolescent treatment philosophy, the model very popular at that time. I don't know if any of you, it's still going strong. Um, Yeah, so it's for like all kinds of addictions and behavioral disorders. So everything ran on rewards and punishments. My first day there, I saw Counselor Jim, who looked exactly like Dr. Johnny Fever from WKRP, um, scoop up Kelly with an I, who is one of the anorexic girls, and carry her away, kicking and screaming, No! Just flailing down the hallway. And I was sitting at the time with Kelly with a Y, the other anorexic girl. I know, don't name your daughters Kelly. Um, and uh, I said, I said, what's happening to her? And Kelly with a Y said, oh, they caught her doing sit-ups again. She's already on open room restriction, but she started doing them in a stairwell, so they're putting her in restraints. Just for a couple hours. No biggie. Kelly with a Y herself had had her clothes taken away and had to wear only pajamas for a week because she tried to escape from the hospital. And then there was medication, and isolation, and tranquilizers, and electroshock, which thankfully I never actually saw. I analyzed the whole therapeutic equation. So each kid has you know, a serious problem, and the goal is to move them into a tangible solution. So Charmaine shoplifted and vandalized buildings and needed to find a legal internal way to feel happy and important. Pothead Pete was compelled to numb himself with any drug he could find, and he needed to stay present in the world and not die. And I tried walking through my own situation. I couldn't have a functional relationship with my mother, no matter what, uh, so I needed to have a functional relationship with my mother, but I wasn't able to do that because I wasn't the only person in the equation. Like, the whole thing fell apart. I didn't have the power to fix this problem. Fixing myself wouldn't help anything if there was another person involved who wasn't gonna change. But Counselor Jim, and also Counselor Steve, disagreed with me. Mm. They saw many, many ways that I needed to change. So at the Unit 3 meeting that was focused on me, Steve told me, You think you're better than everyone else, Amy. You do all kinds of things to convince people you're superior, and you should get to tell them what to do, including your mom and dad. And I said, no, that's, <laughs> that's the diametric opposite of how I feel. And Jim said, oh, see, you did it right there. Diametric opposite. Steve, do you even know what that means? I haven't the foggiest. Right, but Amy knows because she knows everything. So here's the new rule, Amy. You're only allowed to use words that have two syllables or less. Yeah, anytime we hear your hoity-toity words, we're going to make you say it like a regular person. You have got to be kidding me. Jim counts on his fingers. Yup, like that. <laughs> Jim and Steve told me I also needed to work on how often I cried. Jim said, Crying tells people that you're a little baby, Amy, who needs other people to take care of her. You're making other people responsible for your emotions. I tried to say, no, no, that wasn't at all why I cried, but Jim said, shut up, which made me cry. He and Steve began creating intentionally upsetting situations for me as a challenge to control my emotions. So like one day, I entered my room and found that all my cards and posters that I'd used to decorate my wall had been ripped down and shredded into confetti. I cried. I opened my cloth journal to write about this incident and found that Pothead Pete had drawn satanic symbols all over every page in black marker. And I looked up and Pete was standing right there and he said, Sorry dude, Jim made me do it. I cried. And then, I called my mom from the phone in the common room where we get to make one phone call per week, and she got really, really angry at something. I said, I don't even know what, and it was right away, and she said, I don't need this conversation, Amy. I'm hanging up now. I will call Jim later. And I said, no, mom, please, this is the only phone call I get all week, please don't click and I just fell apart crying and and banging my head on the little wooden phone table. Not hard, just lightly, sort of gently. And um, the next thing I knew, Steve was standing in front of me saying, they are the parents and you are the child, Amy. They are the parents, you are the child. And I sobbed, leave me alone. And Steve said, okay, and pulled me down the hall and locked me into the unit two cold room. <laughs> where I sobbed, I don't need to be here, I am not out of control, to the empty, freezing air. Hmm. We had school in the hospital, but everyone was in the same class, so we got very basic assignments that could be done by a range of abilities, like write a story about your favorite season. And I knew that every day that I was there, I was falling farther behind in my real classes. And furthermore, I wasn't working up to my full potential. Hell, I couldn't even say polysyllabic words anymore, at least not in public. (laughs) And (laughs) I became terrified (laughs) that I was going to get held back a year in school. All I had to offer the world was my brain. That was all my parents found valuable in me, and yet now they'd stripped me of it and thrown me into this remedial free-for-all. Instead of biology, at 10 a.m., I was in art therapy, making a balsa wood box. Instead of AP History at 3 p.m., I was in creative movement with the Eating Disorder Girls, who I really liked a lot, uh, learning body awareness by waving colored ribbons in a choreographed dance to the song Marshmallow World. Does any? Do you know this song? Does anybody else? Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, okay, it's a marshmallow world in the winter. Okay, it is so insipid. Oh, my God. Oh, insipid. Oop. It is so stupid. (laughs) Um, Thank you. By the time I was in ribbon therapy, becoming aware of my body and how deeply it did not want to wave a fucking ribbon, it it was December, and there was a family celebration night, and we had to perform our dance for everyone. I didn't want my mom and stepdad and sister to come to see me, but they did. They sat in the front row of folding chairs. The music was very loud, and I did my sashay right and hop, skip left, and waved my green ribbon and felt like I was five. When it was over, the eating disorder girls all ran to their parents and hugged and hugged, I saw Kelly with an eye with her dad, he oh, he held her so tight and he stroked her hair back from her forehead and he looked down as if he was so grateful that that forehead still existed, like it was made of solid gold. My family just stood at their chairs awkwardly and I walked over to them. My mother said, You did a very good job with your ribbon. It was very pretty. I said, thank you. And then she sort of blurted, we love you, Amy. You know all the choices we make are because we love you. And I wanted to say, I love you too, but I couldn't. And then I got a weekend pass home for the holidays, and I was terrified which is so stupid because hello it's my house it's not like i'm a foreign exchange student from north gambia but that is actually what it felt like like i was an experiment with really high stakes they are the parents docile obedient small words no crying we could send you back right now but luckily luckily my first plan on the home trip was to see my friends Mike and Jean had planned that we were gonna hang out at Jean's house and then maybe Kate and Tony would come over and that was all I wanted. Even the phrase, hang out, was so soothing. Although truthfully, I I was nervous about this as well. But um, Mike and Jean were so kind to me. Um, Jean had made pizza and we sat on her bed um, all painting each other's nails with the most rebellious end of the spectrum of wet and wild. Um, Sludge, toxin, waste, I think were the three. Um, The most beautiful colors. Uh, they, They kept smiling at me and making a lot of eye contact. And eventually Jean said, okay, look, I'm going to be honest. Um, You should know that there are some rumors about why you're, you know, not in school. And I said, oh, God, please tell me. And Mike said, "Yup. uh, some people say that you had lice and that you got sent away until you're no longer infested. (laughs) And I'm like, lice? And Jean's like, it's okay, it's okay. Other kids think that you are dying of cancer. And I said, oh good, good. Cancer is better than lice. (laughs) Yes. Excellent. Um, And then Jean said, but the main rumor is that you got pregnant and you're in a home for unwed mothers. Yeah, until you have the baby and give it up for adoption. And I said, what? kids think I'm pregnant. Kids think I'm pregnant? If there were rumors that I was pregnant, that meant that my peers believed that I, Amy, had had sexual intercourse. (laughs) Which meant Somewhere in this universe, there was a purveyor of sperm who found me desirable, which meant that they could potentially see me as a sexual being. (sighs) The experience I was living at Greenbush was a nightmare. But a few miles away, at my high school, I had unknowingly achieved my dream! (laughs) I grabbed Jean and Mike and said, please you guys, please keep that rumor going. No seriously, you have to, you are in theater, you can sell it, I am. I am in a home for unwed mothers, I am. Pregnant, I am a pregnant teen! (laughs) They laughed so hard. (laughs) And I felt myself breathe again. For a second, I felt normal. And I thought, I'm still here. This is still here. And I tried to freeze that moment in my head like a snapshot so I could take it back with me to Greenbush on Sunday where I would survive the next three months. Thank you.
5: How can it happen? Every time you ask us this question, the answer seems like a lie. You know what we're saying, you know what we mean, and it's always sincere. God knows, but it never gets through the way you need. Before you were born. In the door. You not
1: that is all for this week's episode, folks. You know, Amy Salloway, who we just heard from, she requested that her story be followed by this song by Toad the Wed Sprocket. I'm, I'm not sure that she even knows that those guys are fans of Risk. Glenn Phillips, who is the lead singer of the band, has reached out to us a few times to just say the nicest things. We're hoping one day we're both in the same city at the same time. Anyway, you can find the band at toadthewetsprocket.com, and you can find Amy at amysalloway.com. Now I'm going to let you know where you can see Risk live next on December 16th. We are back at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. That's going to be our holidays show there on December 16th in Los Angeles at the Bootleg. On December 19th, we're in Brooklyn at Littlefield. At Littlefield in Brooklyn on December 19th, that's going to be our holidays show on this coast. January 20th, we're back at the Bootleg in L.A., but on January 20th, we're also at the San Francisco Sketchfest. That's where I'll be. I'll be at the San Francisco Sketchfest with Guy Branham, Dana Gold, Biz Ellis, and Marcella Arguello. That is all on January 20th in San Francisco at the Swedish American Hall. Don't forget, one of the best gifts you can give is the gift of storytelling. If you go to thestorystudio.org, you can buy gift certificates, or you can buy someone a video course of ours or one on one sessions with me over Skype. We do all kinds of storytelling workshopping and training at thestorystudio.org. There's various ways to learn. You can go intensive, you can just try out a little bit, and there's gift certificates there as well. So, all of that is at thestorystudio.org. Folks, Today's the day, take a risk. Easter egg by risk fan
5: Matt Bomar.